Um, if you want to hit me up or hit my wife Wendell and up, we can get you on the church Facebook if you want to stay up to date or if you want to share out prayer requests and things like that. All right, let's turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. And today we're going to look uh, in totality, verses 11 through 21. We're going to start just in verse 20 here in a second, but 2 Corinthians 5. Again, as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians, I just think it's been so appropriate for what we've been facing because so many of you are dealing with different kinds of suffering right now. And this book is a message to help us find strength in the middle of suffering. So we're going to be looking together about the idea of being an ambassador, being an ambassador in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to start off this morning, first off, with verse 20. This King James here, verse 20 and 21. Then we'll jump into NIV here just a little bit. So the Word of God says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. If you don't have that highlighted or in your mind, you might underline that. Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him, God hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made him who had no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. There's very few verses in the Bible that are so succinctly, succinctly put the gospel in one verse. John 3.16 is the famous one. This is one verse just like that, okay? What's it mean to be an ambassador? What's an ambassador? They, they get wined and dined. They get to fly around the world. They get to do all kinds of cool things, right? An ambassador stands in the place of someone else in authority, right? So if maybe the president or the vice president or maybe in a representative of the nation, we might send an ambassador to someone, and they're a representative of our country. Now, what's pretty interesting about them being that ambassador, as they come across, they also are came with them not only the yeses and nos of that, that country, but also some of the authority of that country, okay? So today we're gonna to look at three or four different ideas about what it is to be an ambassador for Christ. And think about that a little bit this morning, that you have not only the message of Jesus, but you also carry with that, that authority, and sometimes the offense of that message. Even in 2 Corinthians, we've already talked about this not too long ago, right? That we are an aroma. We're an aroma of life to some people. To some people, we smell great. Amen? <laughs> when you walk in the workplace and you're like singing, you know, the Lord is good, the Lord is good. There are some people that are like, oh, yes, he's good. I love it. I'm glad you're singing about the Lord. And you're a great aroma, right? And sometimes you walk into some workplaces and you might be singing and shouting and testifying about the Lord is good. And there's some people like, who is that person? I can't stand it. They make me sick. Right? And to them, you are the smell of what? Death. But you're an ambassador either way. So let's look about that this morning. Think about what kind of ambassador you're going to be. Even be praying as we go through this message. Lord, help me to know how I can be your ambassador this week. Pray for an opportunity. And then look for that opportunity to hit you this week where you can be a witness to Jesus in your life. All right, the first thing this, we want to see this morning is our motivation to witness. Why should we be motivated to tell others about Jesus. Ambassadors are 
motivated. Go back down, if you would, to verse 11. Verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. Now look at this right here. This is really interesting. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For in for Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I'm telling you, this passage is just loaded. You can just read it and you're just still encouraged just reading it. What's your motivation to witness? Why do you witness? If I said today, I will give you 20 bucks for every person you witness to this week. Would that give you some motivation? If I gave you like five bags of candy, Oliver brought in a ton of candy a while ago, right? Would that be uh, motivation? If I gave you a free trip to the Bahamas, that might be some motivation, right? What motivates you to tell others for Jesus? There's a lot of things that can cloud our motivation, right? Paul lays out some things here pretty clearly about what motivates him and the people he's working with to be a light to the people, especially the people around Corinth there. The first thing I want you to see is that sometimes, and please hear this out, this is important. I think sometimes we try to skip over it. He is motivated by judgment. He is motivated by judgment. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. You remember where we ended up last week? We will all appear before the what? Before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And this wasn't just, this wasn't a heaven and hell judgment. This was what God said, I've given you this. What did you do with what I gave you? Right? Have you ever been motivated by judgment? Right? Sometimes school is that, supposedly that motivation, right? I had a prayer request this morning. Someone was praying that their grades would go up. <laughs> Of course, they may have to do a little work alongside of that, right? <laughs> but there may be a little bit of judgment coming if that doesn't correct itself, right? Paul says, and this is what I want you to see this morning, I think sometimes we skip over this, is that there's an appropriateness about being motivated by the truth that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day, and for some of us it may be really soon, and some of us it may be a while, but one day everybody in this room who is a believer will stand before that seat before the Son of God who died for us, and we'll give an account for what we did in this life. Paul says sometimes you are motivated by judgment. We know what is coming, so we want to persuade people to come to Christ. And it's not just for our sake, right? Other people are going to stand before a judgment seat as well. We want them to be ready, be prepared to meet the Lord. Now here's really important this morning. I want you to hear this very clearly here. We are persuading. We are not trying to trick and manipulate. Have you ever had a salesman try to trick or manipulate you? How many of you love car buying process? I hate that, right? Your preacher is a terrible negotiator. 
Now, you may have some friends that are really good lawyers and great negotiators, but I go in and they just see sucker on my forehead, right? Oh, this guy's coming in. I, we, we got this easy. And so I'm going in all, you know, real macho, like I'm a man, I can negotiate. I remember when, Wendy, we were trying to buy a blue Honda Civic one time. I did all the research. I got all the blue book values. I knew what it was supposed to cost. And I went in, of course, and again, I know how to negotiate her. I'm like, this is what I want to pay. And the guy's like, we can't do that. I don't care. This is what I want to pay. We can't do that. Let me go talk to the manager, right? Come back. How about if we do this? No, no. I just wanted, I was, I had, my problem was I had no room for negotiation. I just want to pay this number. Well, we can come all the way down to here. No, 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 I just want to pay this. And I walked out and I went down the street and I think I paid $100 more for that Civic, <laughs> right? Because I'm not a negotiator. But salesmen like to do what? They like to manipulate, they like to trick. You realize that some people in their witnessing and some preachers try to do the same thing, right? You guys, you know me, I'm not the most eloquent person, so I can't make you cry and make you laugh just at a heartbeat. There's some people who can do that really well can't they? And by trying to play with your emotions and to play with a the situation, they'll try to manipulate you just to say something so that they can mark off a box and say, oh, guess what? I was able to save somebody else, okay? This morning, while we try to persuade men and women about Jesus, we're not trying to trick or manipulate them. We want to be very clear about the claims of the gospel. And I think that's really important as you distinguish persuading from tricking and manipulating. It's very important too this morning. I think this is the age that we live in. A lot of people want to say, well, you just live and believe what you want and I'll live and believe what I want and we'll get along fine, right? But is that what Paul is saying here? No, he says, I'm trying to persuade, okay? Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We are not trying to convert. We are trying to witness. Big difference, right? I am not trying to convert you. I'm trying to show you the truth and the facts of the gospel so that you'll know the claims of Christ and you can make a decision whether you want to reject him or follow him. But at the same time, I also want to do it persuasively. And I want to tell you what it means to me. In our devotions this week in SoCon, we were reminded about being a new creature. And I think it's so good. Do you remember the day that you came to Christ? This little boy that was a friend of, of Jacob, that day just happened to him, right? I'm going to tell you again, because I think we should tell each other this a lot, but for me, I was a little boy, and my parents, my grandpa was a preacher, my dad was an electrician. It's kind of funny, my dad's an electrician, he has three sons who are all preachers. I don't know how that worked out. Anyway, um, we were in devotions, and so at my house, devotions was my dad got home at 3.30, and he wanted supper when he got home. So my mom would have dinner ready for us at 3.30. So we'd like get off from school go inside, and we try to eat as much snack as we could, but we were just trying to eat supper anyway. <laughs> and this one uh, Monday, it was a Monday afternoon, it was 1977. Whew. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Right? 1977, and I'm sitting around the table with my mom and my dad, my brother Corey. I was six years old, and even at that table that day, I can still remember that feeling came over me, like, this is not right. Where I am with the Lord, a six-year-old boy, this is not right. And my dad could see it in me. And so he began to share with me, and I'd already, trust me, I'd already heard the gospel at church because I, I was brought through the church. So I had already been through Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school, church, revivals, the whole thing. I'd heard the gospel a lot, even at six years old, okay? And my dad began to walk, through me through, walk with me through Romans Road. And that day, I remember him pulling a pen out of his Bible. He said, Travis, 
if you want this, what do you have to do? I don't know. What do I have to do? <laughs> you can just reach out and take it. And that was the gift of grace of God's son that he was sharing with me. And that on this old, ugly brown couch, my mom probably killed me for calling it ugly. I knelt down there and I was bawling like a baby and I was crying and I asked Jesus into my heart and my, the trajectory of my whole life changed on that one day. And that very moment after that was done, the first thing that I did is I had this old girl's bicycle. Why did I have a girl's bicycle? I'm still bitter about that. This old rusty girl's bicycle, big old banana seat on it. And I got on that bicycle and my friend Brandon Horn lived just around the corner and he was the first person that I rode down to his house and I went there to tell him what happened to me. This is a few weeks later. I remember being up in a tree on a tree branch, kind of like these guys here. My another neighbor, Todd Hawkins, was with me. We were sitting on the tree branch together there, and I was trying my very best to lead him to the Lord. I brought my mom down to, to Todd and Tara's house. Tara was his sister. And my mom prayed with Tara because I was trying to lead her to the Lord. You guys, we should not ever make fun of the faith of these kids. Because to be honest with you, it's so much greater than yours and mine. Right? They believe it, and they do it. And I'm encouraging this morning, let's be motivated to be a light, to be a witness. Let's not forget about what God has done for us. And out of that, let's try to persuade people. Not trick or manipulate, try to persuade them. Motivated by judgment. Second thing this morning, motivated by glory. So Paul again says, we were playing before God and we were playing to the Corinthians. Really important here. Paul and his servants were the same people. And I think part of that being the same people, why they weren't like the fake TV evangelist or the fake uh, musician who puts on a big show for everybody about how they love God and then they're out smoking and getting drunk later on. I think the big difference here is that what happened to Paul during the week? What happened to him? He was getting stoned. He was getting flogged. He was getting left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was trying to earn his own income at the same time trying to care for the needs of the church. And that would kind of really weed out the fakery, right? He was doing the work. And so what he's trying to tell the Corinthians is you can share with these other people around you who are trying to mess you up and lead you astray. We are doing the work. We are transparent. You know who we are. You know our lives. We live them in front of you. And I love how he words it here. <laughs> if we are out of our minds, it's for the sake of God. Does anybody think you're out of your mind because you're a Christian? Can I kind of challenge you this morning that maybe there ought to be one or two people that think you're just a little bit crazy? We were talking about uh, this morning, Wendy taught in a school called Blueford in Southern Illinois. And she had all the, and all these friends are still there. Like it was amazing how people are still working there in that school. And I remember one of her friends, uh, she said to Wendy when we were moving, like, why are you doing that? Why are you going to Indiana? Like you have really good things here. Your family's here. Your kids are doing great in school. You have good jobs. Why are you going? You're, that's crazy. And to, to be honest with you, it is kind of crazy, right? If you have good jobs and your kids are doing well and you're by your family, and for me, the fish were biting really good, <laughs> why would you leave that? Here's why. Because God said, I need you to go to Indiana. And for some people, that just seems like, that's crazy. Paul says, for God's sake, sometimes we're out of our minds. People will think we're out of our minds. But he says, if we're in our right mind, it is for your sake. We are doing this for your health, for your growth, for your salvation, for your edification. We are motivated 
uh, by what God is going to do and how he's going to display his glory in your lives. Paul's desire is to please God and to help the Corinthians. Again, from last week, you saw very clearly that's our command. It's please the Lord. What are you doing to please the Lord? So you might be motivated by judgment. You might be motivated by others, God getting glory out of others coming to him. And then the third one, I think the one that's most powerful to me, is you're motivated by Christ's love. I love this word here that's in the NIV. His love compels us. When have you lost time you were compelled? When's the last time you prayed for someone to be saved and you're praying so hard for them that you cried? You might say, well, I'm not really a crier. <laughs> and to be honest, that really convicts me this morning. Again, as I think about myself as a young boy, I think I was probably 10 or 11 we would do these New Year's Eve services back in my home church. And we'd start at 8 o'clock and we'd go to midnight. <laughs> so for little kids, you know, they'd be really crazy from 8 to 9 and then we'd eat and play. And then all the kids would come and crash and all the adults would stay up till midnight and they would close at midnight. Everybody would come and would have an altar of prayer. And I can, oh boy, I can still remember to this day, my grandpa Pitt, I've been praying for him for a long time and he was not a Christian and I remember as being a little boy beside my mom's where she would play the piano. I remember praying for my grandpa Penn so much that he would be saved that I was like just bawling like crazy. And to be honest with you, this guy here this morning is a little bit ashamed that he doesn't have all of that that little boy had when he's praying that day. Lord, help us to be reminded that God's love would compel us to love lost people. I'm probably going to hit this again a little bit later, but I want to just challenge you this morning. This is the Lord really convicting me. When you see people, do you see souls or do you just see people? Right? I'm afraid too often when I'm at work, I just see people. And sometimes, especially if they're aggravating me, then I really just see people. Right? Uh, when you see movie stars, do you see celebrity or do you see souls? When you see politicians, do you see <laughs> uh, annoyance or do you see souls? When you see your neighbor, do you see souls? Yeah, now you're getting it. Me too, right? Instead of judging people right away and looking at how they're different than us and why that annoys us or why that bothers us or why maybe all of a sudden we can be buddy with them, what we've got to start doing is looking at people as God looks at them and see their soul inside of their person and then ask the Lord to be a light to them. Again, the love of Christ compels us. And these young kids could tell you this morning, we did Philippians chapter 2. We saw that Jesus died the death. And what kind of death was it? It was the death on the cross. That's the kind of Jesus' death that he died for us. So we, in response, his love compels us. You have been given uh, an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. So I want to remind you of these three simple things again this morning. You will face the judgment seat of Christ. It is going to happen. If the word of God is true, and I believe with all my heart it is, everyone who's a believer will face the judgment seat of Christ. We need to witness with integrity. Again, we're not selling used cars here, right? I'm not trying to buddy up to someone just to be their friend so that I can give them the Romans road, and then if they take it, great, and if they don't, I move on. That's not what we're talking about here. This is not a used car selling business, right? This is the gospel. I'm going to give you the facts. I'm going to try to persuade you about what God has done for me, but I'm not converting you. You've got to make the decision on your own. And then, of course, you've been forgiven an impossible debt. Christ has died for you. We should be motivated to witness. We should have a new perspective, a new perspective. 
Paul says, look down here if you look with me. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Do you see things different now? Once you come to Christ, is your viewpoint, is your perspective different? Do you see rich and poor and black and white and skinny and fat? Or do you see souls, right? Paul says before salvation, <laughs> he viewed Christ from a worldly perspective, but afterwards it was different. When Christ comes into your heart, he makes it new. You guys, I'm going to move along here, so hang with me this morning. This is really important. This is a, a misconception that many people have. If change doesn't accompany salvation, it is not salvation. Everybody hear that today? This is really important. This is like the core of the gospel because we get this confused. Some people think, hey, preacher, can you put my name on the membership roll? Well, sure, I can put your name on the membership roll, but does it mean you're on the, uh, the book, <laughs> God's book, right? Some people say, well, I got wet. Did you guys get wet, get baptized? Now, these things may be important, but is getting baptized going to be your entry into heaven because you got dunked in some water? No. Even to the point of some people will say, you know what? I read a prayer one time in this book, and I read it. So I got my uh, skip hell card punched, right? <laughs> salvation is not salvation unless there is a change of heart, and that only occurs through the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit. If you are the same person that you were before you got wet or you said that prayer or became a member in the church, you are destined to face the wrath of God. Clear as can be, okay? What should happen is after you submit yourself, you surrender your heart to Jesus, you say, forgive me of my sins, when God comes in, then all of a sudden, there's something different about you. That little boy, that six years old, he was different when he got up from that couch. Because he was relieved of his sin. He knew he wasn't going to go to hell. He knew he was going to heaven. That was such an encouraging thing. And his desire was, now I need other people to know that they don't have to live in fear of what's to come, but they can live in hope and joy. And then from then on, my whole life was like, what am I going to do to please God? And I know some people say, can you really do that? And I can say, yeah, because I've lived it now. Up to, I'm almost 50 people in <laughs> 1977 we're talking about. You can. These guys... If they receive the Lord in their heart at a young age, it can transform their life and it can be completely different. Today, I'm going to ask you to think about that, about your own salvation experience. God says, be reconciled to him. Can you point back to a time in your life where, yes, I didn't know God and then I repented and now I do know God? If you don't, today is that day. Amen? Today is that day that you can say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into your heart and change my heart, change my perspective. Let me be like that little six-year-old boy that jumped on that crazy bicycle. Let me know that I don't have to worry about what's in store, what's in the future. Let me know that heaven could be my home. It could be today. And this could be the day that you look back on and say, that's where it all changed. All right? Again, the, the scripture is just very clear here. The old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, we're a new creation. Today, has there been a change in your life? Super quick illustration here. 
William Greathouse, he writes, the new man in Christ is therefore actually living a holy life in Christ and in the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The old man he once was in Adam has ceased to be. There should be a death to that old man. An incident in Augustine, he was an old church father, in Augustine's early Christian life illustrates this truth about this change. I love how he words this. Before his conversion, Augustine had a mistress named Claudia. And shortly after he found Christ, Claudia saw him on the street in the city, and she cried out to him, Augustine, Augustine. And Augustine paid no heed. Augustine, Augustine, she cried out again, it is Claudia. And he answered back, but it is no longer Augustine. And he went on his way. <laughs> Amen? There's some changes. We used to get together. We used to sin together. We used to enjoy doing wrong things together. And she calling out for him again. Let's get together again. Calls him by name. And she says, oh, no, no, I'm not the same person anymore because the Lord has changed me. Again, in Christ, we are a new creation. All right. This morning, have you been changed? Has God given you his perspective? I'm going to skip on down here just a little bit, and I want to go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. And again, a reminder about God making things new. Revelation 21, verse 5. And what I want to remind you this morning is that God is in the making new things, making things new, excuse me, business. Revelation 21.5 says, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Has God made things new in your life? People, this is, this is awesome. This is the gospel. God can take the broken and the messed up and even the destroyed. And not only can he just kind of fashion it together, but he can make it new again. All right, think about that this morning. We've been talking recently even about abortion and all the, the damage that it does. And what we were reminded of, well, yeah, we can go out and say abortion is murder, but we also have all these women, like one out of every three women in the United States and one out of two in many parts of the world that have been, been completely damaged and destroyed in their hearts by what happened there. And the reminder here today is God can make all that new. We've had people who have been so destroyed by drug abuse, by alcohol abuse, by different kinds of addictions, some of it's sexual pornography addictions. Can God transform them? He can make them new, right? We've had marriages and relationships where they're just going off the cliff and fall off the edge, and it's like, how can they ever come back together? How can after that break of trust, can there ever be a marriage there anymore? And can God make it new? He can. All of these things. God can make it new. And what we see here is that God is making all things new. There's going to come a day for everyone that believes in him that it's all going to be reconciled. It's all going to be restored. So again, as we think about the old things becoming new. We have that kind of God that we serve. All right, the last thing I want to see this morning, and we'll put it, put it all together, is that ambassadors have a different occupation. So look here with me just briefly. Paul writes, and he says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. So important. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed us to us the message 
of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, what? Be reconciled to God. Four words, that's the gospel. Four words is the message to be witnessed. Be reconciled to God. If your kids don't know the Lord, be reconciled to God. If your neighbor doesn't know the Lord, be reconciled to God. If your coworker doesn't know the Lord, be reconciled to God. That is the message. Hopefully we carry it with love and with humility, with service. Sometimes we may even carry it with boldness, with very much directness. But that is the message. Be reconciled to God. That is the gospel. This week, carry that with you. I don't know where all you're going. Some of you may be going to a voting booth this week. Probably most of you have already early voted. <laughs> carry that message with you. Maybe the Lord will give you an opportunity there. Be reconciled to God. Maybe it's to school. Or maybe everybody's coming back to school. Carry that message with you. Be reconciled to God. Maybe it's to work. Don't forget that message. This is the core of the gospel. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When God reconciles you through Christ, you in turn are to help others be reconciled. Just such a simple turn of phrase there. God reconciles us, we help others be reconciled. When you have been reconciled, you become an ambassador. You carry the authority of the message of the gospel with you. We implore you be reconciled to God. And finally, that, that last phrase there, and I don't want you to miss this. This is the one I think that we all ought to have underlined in our Bibles there in verse 21. God made the sinless one, that is Jesus, he made the sinless one to be sin for us, that in him we might become God's righteousness. Right, we could go on and on, you guys, so much here today to say, I want you to get a quick overview of this passage. Be an ambassador today, right? Check your motivation. Check your perspective. Make sure that you have been transformed. You've been changed. You can't be an ambassador if you've never been changed. And then look at your job. Look at your occupation. Be an ambassador who declares, be reconciled to God. One final illustration uh, this morning that kind of brings this point home. You guys might remember there used to be an old TV commercial by a credit card company. And the scene opens with a couple standing at the checkout counter. And the woman says, uh, tis the season, and she takes out her credit card to hand to the cashier. And her husband looks alarmed and says, wait, what credit card are you using? And if you remember, suddenly hordes of barbarians begin surging into the store, and they run down the store aisles yelling with weapons drawn uh, toward the couple making the credit card purchase. And the point of the ad is that making yourself liable to the finance charges on credit cards is like bringing on a horde of barbarians. But one quick scene in the ad gives us a really good spiritual picture. As the barbarians charge past one store clerk at the perfume counter, she sprays some perfume on them. <laughs> Trying to civilize a horde of bloodthirsty barbarians to get rid of their foul aroma with a few squirts of perfume is what we are doing if we hope to transform sinners by squirting them with religion. Religion cannot change the barbarian at the heart of every child, teenager, or adult, only a relationship with Christ brings the soul conversion that changes a sinner into a saint. Be reconciled to God. Let's stand this morning.
You guys, thank you so much for your patience and your attention today. And as we close in prayer this morning, I want you to be thinking again about who can I be an ambassador to this week? The Lord may put in your mind someone that you'll have an opportunity, but it also may be that you're driving through the gas station and there's an opportunity. Or you're walking down the street and there's an opportunity. You're doing something out of the ordinary and you're like, oh, this horrible thing has happened. Why did God allow this to happen to me? And the next thing you know, there's this wide open door to be an ambassador. So be aware of what the Lord this week will let you be a light and a witness. Does anyone have anything to say before we're dismissed this morning? All right, you guys, as we close in prayer, let's be thinking of those that we can be a light and be a witness to. Again, just briefly, um, we, will, we are meeting on Wednesdays on Zoom. So we've been doing a, a counterculture Bible study by David Platt. If you're interested in that, let me know. And get, give me your email address, and we should get you connected on the Wednesday night Bible study. We're meeting face-to-face for Sunday school at 9.30. But we also have an option if you're on a trip or if you're sick at home. You can do Zoom for Sunday school for our young adult class or for our adult class, okay? And then worship the same way. If you want to follow online, if for some reason you can't be here, let me know. We can get you the link where you can at least kind of hear a little bit what's going on. But we're so glad you guys could be here with us. Let's be dismissed in prayer uh, today. It's been really good to have Isaiah with us. I'm going to ask um, Isaiah if he would to dismiss us in prayer, please. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week and Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.